What's up, everybody? It's your two favorite archaeologists in the podcast realm, the fastest on the planet, your favorite podcast that you're currently listening to with your hosts, Julian and Jordan. Jordan, how are you doing today? Really good, Julian. And by the way, I actually met an, a paleontologist, which I mean, we call the, the poor man's archaeologist where we're from. But I was significantly faster and stronger than him. So we still got it, boy. I wonder if, uh, you know, this paleontologist in this game has ever found any old human bones or old human remains. As today we're going to dive into the history of assassins, mercenaries, and the kind of clouded and foggy guns for hire category. I feel like this is kind of probably one of the more, if we think about it, probably more influential topics we've talked about because this shapes the world as far as, you know, the amount of guns that are in places, the amount of people or, you know, specific people that are taken out or taken care of and, uh, you know, just fighting and conflict in general. Yeah, and there's a lot of tensions, conflict, and drama that has arose over centuries, decades, generations. And you can see this in, you know, political assassinations or assassinations to promote someone's agenda. You can see this strictly in um, what some people call terrorist group or private military companies. You could see it in, you know, single individual mercenaries carrying out something to be compensated in cash other than a political agenda. And it's just a really interesting world that um, is constantly around us. But I think we pretend to ignore it or it doesn't affect us because a lot of people don't know what's going on. Yeah, I think that you hit the nail on the head with that one. And it's kind of like this mask, darker side of history in the aspect of, you know, how all this stuff came about. And the first like assassins, so to speak, jumping into it, were actually in around the middle of the 13th century. So we've been doing this stuff for a long time, guys. And to jump in on like how they started. So the first group was called the, and I'm getting ready to butcher this, so I apologize already, the Hashashin. <laughs> the Hashashin. Sounds great to me. Thank you. And they started basically around Persia, Syria, and Turkey, and that's where they operated as well. So the Middle East, and from my research, and granted, I'm no expert, but I believe it happened when the Islamic sects kind of broke up between the Shia and the Sunni, and the Shia started the Hashashin to basically make sure that people that they didn't like weren't around and people that they, you know, did like kind of were making influential moves out in the government and shaping history. It is a very dark matter, right? You're going to assassinate or take someone out to gain power. But it's also something that is heavy and uh, human and animal nature to an extent, right? You have silverback gorillas who want to be um, the dominant force in their surroundings. Even humans, like you, a lot of the times you think about it, small human nature, not killing anyone. But if you want to get promoted, there's a certain part of you that looks for the downfall in someone else. And if you go all the way back to the 13th century and those time frames where, you know, the only way to be in this position was through royal powers and 
um, kind of the bureaucracy was going on, which was the quickest way to do that was to take someone out. Yeah, exactly. And that's how basically they kind of were birthed. And just to kind of revise myself, the 13th century is when they eventually had their downfall, but they were operating from the 11th century. So even before then. And so the the interesting part about it for me was kind of how they did it. So they would assassinate people that were obviously kind of like, you know, either political or financial foes, like I mentioned, but how they would do it is they would almost befriend that person and get into the close circle group. And then at that point, they would just like stab them. So it's like true, like, you know, stab in the back type deal. And the reason why they could do that almost in a kamikaze attempt, because once you do that, you're known as the assassin. You're usually not getting out there alive. There was a reward in the afterlife for the assassins themselves to basically, you know, when they when they pass on to the afterworld, whatever that may be, they were rewarded with just a whole bunch of stuff when it comes to like women and you know, just almost paradise. So that's why that they were so zealous and almost ardent in their staunches assassins. And one of the things I, I kind of compare to more modern assassinations, um, and I don't think necessarily on the United States side, there has been a monumental assassination in the time that I personally have been alive. From the history that I know, it always seems to be charged either through um, religion or a, a hatred of something that's different. And it's always stayed that way, uh, which is a very interesting thought to me to see how, how strongly some are affected by their emotions and their spiritual ties to believe that this force is pushing them to take someone's life. But on the other hand, to me, there's also... Some of these assassinations, I'm not never going to promote it, but are probably happening for the right reasons. It's a yeah, there's there's a lot of motives and a lot of reasons on, you know, the side of the assassinator to assassinate somebody. And it's it's very complex and and convoluted uh, is a really short way to put it. To hop back on, to give you guys a little bit more color on the Hashishin. The Hashishin, what it actually means in Arabic is Hashish users. So basically, these this group was known to basically be committing all of these deeds or assassinations under the influence of Hashish. And so... The name flowed from that, which is just insane. A very unique circumstance and series of events to me and kind of the tying of starting in the Middle East and a lot of this drama and conflict today of private military groups, mercenaries, assassins, hired guns, etc., has always been focused in the Middle East. And it's almost a burden on maybe their culture. I don't know if that's the right term, but I would equate it to, this is going to be a very strong statement, but equivalent to what slavery in, you know, England, English dominated countries is to the Middle East and their form of taking power and taking charge. 
Hmm. I never thought of it that way in the aspect of, you know, having this the way they look at their history or culture. It, it would be interesting to really kind of get a feel for what people think about now, you know, about how, you know, the Hashishin, which happened obviously in the 11th through 13th centuries, are very removed from, from us. But I'm sure there's probably a lot of, you know, ties to heritage in that aspect and religion in that in that way too, because of the it was created as an offshoot of a religious group in that aspect as well. Yeah, very true. And we're not trying to say that if you know so and so's from the Middle East, it's a tendency. It's just very interesting to see that um, you know this area has a very strong history of um, assassinations or mercenaries and this kind of ideology to to stem from. And maybe that's why there's a lot of tension today in that area on what essentially is happening when you kind of transition into the the modern century and modern times. I mean, yeah, you. I, I think it would be tough to put like a, a finger on anything, just like you couldn't put like, you know, one finger on, oh, why are North Korea and South Korea beefing? Or why is North Korea upset with everybody in the aspect of uh, there's a lot that comes together in a like uh, something like that. That's how I think that we can lead into where this like mercenary and guns for hire aspect comes into it. And the fact of when you have big, I mean, assassinations are, I feel like are on one side of the, of the kind of the spectrum as far as they're very specific and really precise. But when you talk about mercenaries, then you're talking about almost a hired army. So, you know, full force and broad strokes instead of this very precise motion, right? And mercenaries is kind of like Jordan's saying, it's uh, one of those branches of, I don't know what you want to call the basis of this tree, but mercenaries instead of having this religious or political tie, um, when you think of a mercenary, you think of someone who essentially just doing it to be paid in cash or recompensated in another way. They aren't doing it because they believe it's the right thing or, you know, they they believe this is going to help their agenda. They see it as a way, um, strictly mercenaries see it as a way to um, get paid to do something in their desired skill set. I think that it turns into something that's very interesting in the aspect of you have armies that are for hire, just like, I mean, anything else, you can have like a hair salon stylist for hire. This thing is something that's super impactful. And when you have mercenaries fighting for money in to kind of like shift and nudge the world in kind of like political, global, economic ways, then you have almost this interesting dichotomy of fighting, fighting for something that's probably down to the core in essence something that doesn't really have much to do with like this hired group that's out there which is very interesting you know and the u.s has been a big has been no i guess noticeably using private military companies which uh similar to what jordan is talking about is this assembly of kind of a militia that isn't directly related to um, in this example, the U.S. Army or the Navy or the Air Force take this private military company. You find a contractor, and you know around uh, World War II, 
10% of American armed forces were privately contracted. And contract meaning there's one contractor. And around that time, there's 50 personnel to one contractor. So this contractor was in, in charge of a large group of people. And now it's become a little bit more standard in, throughout the globe where one contractor now has 10 personnel in their group. So they're getting a little bit smaller because there's just so many more of them and so many contractors always hiring out to build their private military company. That makes sense. And I think that maybe they're converging in the aspect of just kind of like solidifying power in the in a way. But there are about, I would say, I think 30 of like, you know, the, the biggest private security, I think that they can be labeled under groups that deal with like kind of like a army for hire type deal. One of the things about these armies for hire is there's obviously pros and cons to doing it. So, you know, the private sector overall is going to be cheaper. You know, there's going to be less people involved in these smaller companies. They're going to be out for certain tasks and certain contracts, certain timeframes, as you know, the U.S. Army is always going to be around. And then you're also going to get the pros of these contractors are very specialized in that ground region in that area. So they're going to be really well versed in the logistics of these contracts, these tasks. At the same time, it's going to reduce the number of, as for the U.S., U.S. casualties, because you're hiring out almost a third party uh, private military company to do this work for you. So you aren't at this point um, using potentially using lives of your countrymen. Everything you said is very, very interesting. And I think plays a big part in why mercenaries or private armies are well used and almost have kind of a, a very, very interesting relationship with the world. And the fact of it's it's almost like an offshoot. So, for instance, if you came from the the U.S. Army or the Navy and ended up being a Navy SEAL, then you would have been trained differently than if you came from a private security company or, you know, a mercenary company. And so you have these two different skill sets, two different heritages and also two different ways of, you know, going about training an army in, in the private sector. Like Julian said, it's kind of you, you can get people from all over the place and they, they're trained in the way of their company. And in the, you know, in the actual U.S. military, it's totally different in some, in some aspects. Yeah, and I think a great visualization of what Jordan is saying is if you take a very popular film s series such as uh, Mission Impossible, or um, to a certain extent, extent James Bond, right? Both kind of mercenaries, assassin types, um, loosely or broadly spread, but they're very specialized in their small skill set in the contracts that they take up. But they're not, you know, in the movies, they aren't directly in the U.S. Army or you know the British mil military at that at that point in time, and that's kind of a you know, the Hollywood style of a private military company. And that's, you know, you can see if you look at like Mission Impossible, what are, you know, some of the cons here. In the real life, some of the cons you look at is like, what happens if one of these contractors you hire out turns into a loose cannon and is sharing all of your, all your files or your plans or is double crossing you? Because as much as that happens in movies, it definitely happens in real life also. Julian, just out of curiosity, do you know of a instance where that has happened? Yeah. 
to somebody hiring a private army? Yeah, and there's uh, there's a few different um, scenarios. Um, one related to the United States, where they hired a private military company, and they captured. You know, this contractor got a hold of this man's name was Abu Ghraib, and um, this private military company either was contracted or um, was sent to to get this this man to help with information or um, you know was a target and they they tortured him and this tortured him beyond you know whatever the the standards of torture are for these companies it was you know way out of line and um, ended up killing this man and that news got out and you know the U.S. had hired this company. And that's when, you know, you see a whole lot of this thing, these things in the news. And, you know, as the U.S., you can twist a lot of things as, you know, a private military company being um, what some people refer to as terrorist groups, right? So terrorist groups are private military companies in themselves for their own region. And their agenda is against, you know, certain countries' agendas. And you call them terrorists because they're in the act of creating terror for your country. Wow, that's so interesting. You know, I feel like that would be an insane and crazy scandal just kind of seeing the darker side of private military when they you know lose basis of you know that they're working as odd as it sounds they're working for an employer and you know taking orders from them or having guidelines from what they tell them that you know what the u.s government says hey we need you to do x y and z and if they you know separate themselves from that in itself, that would be pretty crazy to, like you said, kind of have a loose cannon or private military company go rogue. Yeah. And there's just so many factors, right? Like once, you know, warfare kind of changed after the Cold War and got a little bit more strategic and tactical technology increased and, you know, you got a lot more regional wars and weapon, the cost of weapons went down. There's a ton of, ton of violence in it anyone essentially could have started a private military company having the right, you know, access or foot in the door somewhere. And if you look at, you know, further into like the black market or, you know, the underground market, right? Like gun running is like a six to eight billion dollar a year industry. And that's just selling, you know, guns to whoever wants to buy them. Um, Very similar to War Dogs with Jonah Hill and Miles Teller, if you've seen that, where you're essentially just buying guns for the, the low and giving them to whoever is going to give you the highest offer for them. Very interesting. And such a huge industry too, just built off of purely conflict and like security. There's no other, you know, it's not like there's infrastructure or anything that they can benefit from, from hiring guns. It's just off of, you know, conflict and protection, which is super interesting in its own right. Do you think the rise of technology in America and I guess the world more so will stay in America? The rise of technology and security is why we've seen in our lifetime, haven't seen a an assassination. Honestly, I don't think that's the reason why that we haven't seen an assassination. But I could see that being a reason why we will in the future. In the aspects of, imagine if a company like uh, Boston Dynamics, which if you who are listening aren't too familiar with, is a company in Boston, obviously, that was specialized in creating 
robots to do specific tasks. So for instance, they have robots that'll run and could like stabilize themselves on ice or uh, go upstairs or jump onto boxes and jump off or keep their balance or pick up something and walk to a different place. And imagine if Boston Dynamics and they decided to do, you know, like a, like get into the mercenary business. I think in that aspect, it would be a clear avenue of assassinations from there. And I think the reason that we haven't seen it currently right now is because, or at least in our small lifetimes, is just because of kind of the climate of the earth or the world and where, you know, assassination attempts aren't as common just because there's other ways to get things done, maybe. Yeah, that's a valid point. And one of the things that I, I do agree with is that advancement of technology as, you know, shown by Boston Dynamics is, you know, very similar to how war and things have always progressed where like you look at the introduction of the tank and the destruction that did. You look at, you know, the nuclear, like a nuclear bomb or nuclear weapons, automatic weapons, projectiles, etc. That next installment always does some serious damage. And at the point where you're, you know, able to push out a private military company that is essentially just robots, you know, think like iRobot or something, you'll you'll be able to dispose of a lot more robots and not necessarily feel bad about it as you are disposing of, you know, humans. It's probably a little bit more precise. You might spend a little bit more money, but it's a little bit lower risk. I mean, as terrible as it sounds, if that's people's goal, like a higher reward. Um, So it'll be very, yeah, very interesting to see how how tech continues to play in this landscape. Exactly. I think it'll be a game changer uh, for sure. And just to kind of bring it back, I wanted to uh, briefly mention, uh, we talked about assassins, and I want to briefly mention some of the more notable assassinations attempts in the world themselves. So the one of the first ones I have is the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand by Gavrilo Princip. If you aren't familiar with this, this is basically how World War One started, is the assassination of Franz Ferdinand. That's a, a pretty catastrophic change of events. And you can see how that role of an assassin or a mercenary is a lot bigger than, you know, just one, one target. In this case, one target starts a very, very large and historic war. Absolutely. It's, it's the, I think that's one of my, you know, one of the ones where I find it so fascinating, the single, the single act like effects and in a very, very real way in like the near future, millions of lives, which just kind of baffles you in the aspect of first off, uh, if you're a history guy or a history fan, then you kind of know that the the assassination attempt was pretty botched in the aspect of they it failed at first and then all of a sudden it like they got another chance and it worked out it's uh it's kind of funny how like one event like that can just have such a huge impact and going along those same lines i feel like i'd be remiss if i didn't talk about you know like john f kevin kennedy and the assassination attempt on his life or not the attempt, but the actual assassination of it. Another just kind of crazy event where they never were really ever to, you know, figure out, 
you know, who the shooter was or that, you know, there's thousands of conspiracies. Got to be an unsolved mystery to understand why, you know, why it occurred or what had been leading up to, you know, this presidential assassination. Because as much as you can speculate and guess, you'll never You'll never know. It, I mean, truly a devastating event in American history. Um, I wasn't alive. Jordan wasn't alive. But, you know, you talk to our parents or grandparents during that time. It was, you know, everyone knew what was going on. Yeah, not to get, you know, Alex Jones-esque on everybody. But the, the guy that they got was uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, who's a shooter. But I think what you're alluding to is the motivation towards behind it, like, you know, there's some people that believe that he had some sort of ties to Cuba and Russia, and other people think that he was kind of just a solo actor. Definitely, nonetheless, just a very, very odd assassination attempt. And I mean, I feel like all of them are in their own way, very abhorrent and just not normal. I mean, granted, because they're assassinations, right? I think, too, at that point in time, America... Maybe it was just transitioning and there's a lot of reasons that could be happening. And it's kind of like when you look at the Martin Luther King Jr. assassination, is that one, you know, it's kind of more a little bit black and white to why it had happened and, you know, the, the circumstances leading up there. But still, you know, to be that emotionally charged to not accept change is, you know, baffling to, you know, to me today, um, not only as like a U.S. citizen, but as an African-American to see that, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. went through his his journey and his process to be, you know, outshone or, you know, have his message abruptly stopped because someone couldn't accept um, the change. Yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting, complex and almost puzzling, you know, reasons and ways of assassinations. And sometimes I feel like they really don't have, like, you know, in some aspects, it's literally just kind of a deranged human being. And I don't think that we've talked about any that as like, you know, you could totally draw the line of like, oh, why did this person do this? But for instance, like, you know, we've talked about some very serious ones and like very impactful ones and very one things that you can see like, oh, here's a clear line. But then there's one like of you know, like John Lennon, just such a funky one. And so I think that what it comes down to is just absolute like complexities in the world and so many factors going into, you know, something that has a very crazy outcome. You know, Jordan and I touched on a lot of these major and well-known assassinations kind of based on U.S. history, um, a little bit, you know, prior to world, or the start of World War One. But there's, you know, assassinations that occur every single day that we have no clue, you know, why it happened or what's going on. Um, you look at like someone like El Chapo or um, Escobar who had multiple hitmen in their cartels that were taking out rival gang members and this, this, and that for more territory. And you just never heard about it. And it's probably happening all across the world. I mean, multi-million dollar business and, you know, the business of drugs and politics and I, I guess essentially death. Um, there's always going to be this weird questioning to why it is in human nature 
and where, you know, where it comes from. But hopefully listening to today's episode, you kind of have a better understanding of the roots in the 11th century going to the 13th century and, you know, progressing on to private military companies and mercenaries and, you know, what's happening there, at least have an idea of some of the agendas that could be behind um, what assassins and this group, this tree is doing. Yeah, I mean, I, I really hope you guys got something out of it and enjoyed it and we'll be back with us next time. Yeah, guys, thanks for listening. Go ahead and, you know, leave a like or a comment or share this. You know, we really appreciate your support. Really love doing this. We learn something new every day. We love hearing your emails and your feedback. So uh, we really appreciate you guys. And uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.